Thank you for listening to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. Today's episode features Father Paul Koska, Brother Thomas Gonzaga, and Brother Peter Xavier sharing about the Great Fast of Lent. To learn more about the Servants of Christ Jesus, please visit scjesus.org. Hi, and welcome to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. I'm Ed Lugo, the project manager for the Servants, and we are currently in the middle of Lent, so at this time we thought it would be appropriate to talk about Lent and the Great Fast. So today I am welcoming two servants to the podcast for the first time, Brother Thomas Gonzaga. Yeah. <laughs> and Brother... <laughs> That was perfect. Perfect intro. And brother Peter Xavier. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Servants Podcast. You guys are a little different. That was such a jerk move. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. All right. And we are also joined by Father Paul Kostka, who is a vet of the Servants Legendary. Lent and a vet of the Servants Podcast. Welcome back, Father Paul. Thanks for having me again, Ed. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> So to start off, I think it's important to explain uh, why we're doing a podcast episode on Lent and the Great Fast. Uh, The Great Fast is one of those things that um, you guys get a ton of questions about because it is pretty unique. Having lived with you guys for a while, which to specify, I don't live with the servants now. I lived with the servants 10 years ago, and I wasn't trying to become a servant. I just needed a place to live, Um, and the servants' rent was really cheap. Uh, So I can attest to kind of how unique your guys' Lent is. Uh, but before we talk about the Great Fast, um, Father Paul, I know that Lent has always been important to your community because, uh, you know, you guys literally started the community in February and then you jumped right into Lent. Uh, and I know, you know, if you can kind of talk just about the origins of the Great Fast, because I, I know that it was after you moved to Denver that you guys started the Great Fast. So uh, before we get into it, I just kind of want to know where the Great Fast came from and, uh, uh, and, and, you know, what the inspiration was for it. Yeah, so when we first moved to Denver, uh, when we were exploring where to live, there's we're trying to find something relatively near St. John Vianney Seminary, where Father John and I and Father James also all graduated from, and where Brother Thomas and Brother Peter currently attend. And when we're explores, exploring housing options, uh, there was a Byzantine Catholic priest, Father Michael O'Loughlin, who had a house. Uh, had his rectory relatively close to the seminary and offered to uh, put us up basically for the first few months that we lived in Denver uh, prior to finding a more permanent place. And so we are living with him for a number of months. And as the uh, Lenten season was approaching that first year in Denver, he was articulating to us what they do in the Eastern church, uh, Eastern Catholic churches, but also the Eastern Orthodox of the great fast. And so it was really just like, since we're living, we're going to be living with him, wanting to live in kind of solidarity with what he was going to be doing. We decided to take upon ourselves, the great fast, which uh, in the East and as we live it in the servants is no meat, no dairy, uh, and no oil. And, uh, by no oil, we practically just, you know, don't add oil to things and then don't fry things. I um, mean, so, and then the, with the dairy, that includes eggs. So, you know, people often ask, like, oh, does it include eggs? Cause, and it's, it does not, we don't do any eggs either. And so 
it's all an imitation um, of what the church in the East does. And we basically did it uh, partly just as a way to really enter into a sacrificial fast, because especially in modern society and like in the United States and the 21st century, we have immediate access to pretty much like any food that we want all the time. And so uh, part of being radically poor, but also being intensely penitential, we decided to take upon ourselves the great fast. So can you repeat what the specifications are? It's no meat, no No dairy, no fried things, and then uh, no oil. So we don't add oil to things. We don't have like salad dressing, that kind of thing. So no meat, no dairy, no oil, and then included in no oil would be no fried things. Okay. Um, and I guess how specific is that? Like in terms of ingredients in food, obviously like, like what if there's oil in certain foods? How does that, how do you guys, how do you guys draw the line, I guess, and things like that? Yeah. So for example, like if you were to make pesto pasta sauce, right, it's primarily olive oil is the ingredient. So we don't do that uh, versus you know, some things like peanut butter have a certain amount of oil in them, but we permit that just because it's, so we just try not to have things where there's like oil is the primary ingredient, like salad dressing, or in the case of some thing like uh, a dish where there's, we're not adding oil to things, but occasionally there is some oil in some things that we eat. Okay, Awesome. Now, I have to ask, because Brother Peter, I know that until just recently, you were the cook in the community. Thank uh, you, Jesus, for the break. <laughs> now, I have to ask, uh, I mean, everything I cook, I cook with oil or butter. So how do you cook during the Great <laughs> Fest? Like, what are the, what's, what the, there has to be challenges to it, I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love it because when I came into the community, just as a college student, you hear like, no meat. I don't think I'd ever gone vegetarian except on a Friday. And even then I would go to Subway and have a Subway like tuna melt or something like that. So it wasn't really that penitential. But if anybody does that, I'm sure it's great. You know, you keep doing you. All right. <laughs> so yeah, just coming in as like a college student and 21 years old, I heard no dairy. I couldn't imagine, you know, not having milk in my cereal and things like that. That was the most drastic thing. But until you cook, you don't really understand how necessary oil is for everything, pretty much everything that you cook. And the servants, Father Paul was actually joking this past weekend, one of our uh, secret charisms is Mexican food. And so, because Father John and Father Paul both love Mexican food, so we're constantly cooking Mexican food. And one of the things about Mexican food is you have to fry peppers. You can't really do that without oil. So um, probably, I guess Father John had to teach me that you could semi-fry with water, which isn't really frying. It's like this weird steam method that you do to vegetables. And then it doesn't really get soft, but it gets it like tender. Um, you, and you can, yeah, you can totally tell the difference. But yeah. Now, what about like if you're baking something, how do you keep it from sticking to the pan? You pray because there's no really. <laughs> and now I do dinner dishes, so I can actually test to that. It very much sticks. It very much sticks. Nice. So. Um, now, Brother Thomas, I have to ask you about just like exceptions from this because Lent is obviously, you know, 40 days. And what are the exceptions? Are there exceptions for Sundays, birthdays, feast days? Good question, Ed. Uh, so our kind of inspiration is Jesus who went into the desert for 40 days. He didn't stop his fast for the 40 days. So 
we as a community choose not to stop on Sundays, although um, to celebrate the resurrection is always good. Um, but because Jesus is in the desert for that time, we don't stop the great fast on feast days or Sundays. The one exception we do pause for is for the great solemnity of the Annunciation, uh, when the Word became flesh um, in the womb of Mary. Um, that starts the night before, so March 24th, we begin to feast. Um, and so we ev- everything goes. We bring out the alcohol and the dessert um, in moderation, of course, but um, we celebrate. And then all day on March 25th, we celebrate. Normally, we have a really big feast day party. Lots of friends and family come over. But um, yeah, so that's that's the one the one break that we have. If there was someone in the community who had a birthday during Lent, we would have dessert at the supper meal. So the last meal of the day, we would have dessert. And um, if someone had a name day during um, Lent, um, then we would do some type of exception, perhaps like fry up some potatoes and oil to make them taste good. Um, so under the uh, wisdom of the superior, he would make a decision of what is what is appropriate to, to pause at that time. Awesome. Now, on the Great Feast of the Annunciation, I have to ask, how delicious is that like <laughs> first bite of real food? It's amazing. <laughs> I'm probably like the worst person to ask is whenever I get in like big group situations, I always forget to eat. So yeah. I'm always at like the Annunciation. There's like 200 people there and it's like nine o'clock and I'm like, there's no steak now. This is great. Okay. Well, I enjoyed my beer for the night. So that'll be my celebratory hoorah. So I distinctly remember my first year, uh, like the, the, the vigil the night before we had steak and it literally tasted so good. It was like just melting in your mouth steak. Um, so that was a really good first bite. Yeah. Now you guys do a lot of missionary preaching and during Lent you do that as well. Uh, how does the great fast work while you are traveling? Cause you're not just like a vegan traveler. You're like, you're like a superhero vegan traveling during Lent. So how do you, how do you work out like food at retreats and stuff like that? So, so even though, we do the no fried thing, which is more than what it, what a vegan would do. The vegan thing actually is a helpful kind of uh, paradigm for people, like in communicating ahead of time with people and just saying we're basically like vegans, you know, during during Lent. And so the biggest thing is it just takes an anticipating and then communicating with people so that, you know, that the people that are hosting us for treats or what have you are able to provide um you know, a reasonable amount of stuff for us. You know, the it is challenging, though. Uh, I did a backpacking trip with some guys from Vanderbilt a few weeks ago during uh, the Lenten season, and it was a lot of oatmeal and just uh, peanut butter cliff bars day after day after day, meal after meal after meal. So it isn't the most exciting thing, but it's uh, we make it work, and we just try to communicate ahead of time and people have been pretty gracious and being able to help us out as best they can. Nice. Okay. So I have some questions about the fruits of the great fast. Um, you know, cause from my own experience and, and being on the outside looking in when, when I remember thinking about fasting, you know, in college, it was like, Oh gosh, that's one of those miserable things that Catholics do. And then, and then doing it myself, I recognize that it's not as miserable as I thought it was. And actually in a lot of ways it can be very fruitful and encouraging. Uh, 
so I guess the the first question about this is, uh, is is like why why do you guys if you were to explain this to to just some random teenager, like why on earth do you guys do this fast? You know, like what's the what's the ultimate hope or purpose for it? So I think in Lent, you know, there's a great opportunity to be with the Lord, to be with Jesus. And so we don't do the great fast for the sake of itself, right? It's not an end in itself, but it's a means to a greater union with Jesus and a greater love for Jesus. And so if I try and do the great fast just so that I, you know, look good or I, you know, can boast in myself, then I'm kind of missing the point of it. Um, And so Jesus himself, like I said, went into the desert to fast. Moses himself went up the Mount Mount Sinai for 40 days before he received the law. Um, I love it in Matthew. It says the spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted, right? So we, we know that as we enter into Lent, there's going to be this battle. Um, so there's so many spiritual reasons why we might do it. Um, but for me, I think fasting creates a space where I can encounter Jesus and when I'm not like going to ice cream to find comfort, then I have to go to the Lord to find comfort. And so Jesus um, meets me there. He meets me in my fasting. And um, there's, yeah, there's a greater union with the Lord. So that's probably the greatest fruit that I've seen in my life is just a a reliance, a dependence on him, um, but also um, a greater intimacy where I can hear his voice. The scripture comes to life because I'm denying myself of, you know, the worldly things. I'm denying my flesh. I'm putting to death the deeds of the body, um, as St. Paul says in Romans 8, and the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, are more evident in my life. So, Yeah, and I love, um, Brother was just talking about this with some of the, the men's household here at DU. We have four guys who are living together for the first time this year, and it's been awesome. And Brother's been doing weekly formation for them, and one of the nights that uh, we did was a night on penance, and I remember for me coming into the community, when you read, and I don't know if it was like this for you, brother, but like when you read St. Ignatius's instructions on penance, and with that you could say fasting as well because um, you're offering up a sacrifice for the Lord, there's something that he says there that I just never heard before um, preached at any time where he talks about the distinction between the virtue of temperance and the reality of our penitential life. And he says that to kind of give up things that are um, just kind of like excess. So, um, I remember for most of my life, whenever Lent came around, because I went to Catholic schools and things like that, um, and Brother Thomas has a great story about this, of we would give, most people would give up sweets. They would give up like cookies, they would give up cake or sugar or something like that. And that's really beautiful, it's very generous, but um, what Ignatius, St. Ignatius the Loyal would say is, that's not actually giving up something that is what he would call um, good for you. And when we give up something that is actually good for us, that we actually need, that's when we cross the boundary into a penitential life rather than just practicing the virtue of temperance. So when I give up sweets, which isn't something necessary for me, that is like when um, I'm practicing a virtue that I always need to practice. But when we enter into the season of Lent, it's like Brother has been saying, it's we're entering into a season of intentional denial and not just denial of extra things, but things that are actually good for me so I can enter into um, the actual suffering that Jesus entered into into the desert. And um, I think the great fast uh, is just like a, a very easy way to kind of like communicate that to people. Um, because I mean, when we say it, it's always no meat, no dairy, no eggs, no oils, no alcohol, no dessert. It's just like it comes off the tongue. You just after you say it so many times, you just know how to say it, you know. Um, and so I think when, when you look at those things, a lot of people would say if you're not already a vegan or a vegetarian, you're like, whoa, those are things like that would be 
those are good things. Like those are things I need. Those aren't just extra things. And so I think there's just this this lesson that we can learn from the the Eastern Church that's just part of their just their their natural culture and their religion um, of not just giving up something that's that 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 is nice, something that's that's enjoyable, but something that's actually really good for me. It's something I actually need. I want to get into uh, some of the reactions that you guys get to the great fast. You know, you just talked a little bit about like uh, how you kind of like roll, it just rolls off your tongue. And, you know, I've seen the way that some people react to it. And, uh, uh, but I also want to talk not just about like your guy, their reactions, but also your reactions, you know, kind of the psychological reaction uh, that you guys have in anticipating it the first year that you do it. Um, or dread in the following years and also about like the physical reaction in your body, you know, like do you experience withdrawals and deep <laughs> cravings? Like how does it change you? How does it affect you? You know, I remember <laughs> father Paul, you once talking about how you don't like fried chicken, but during Lent you like smelled fried chicken and we're like, Oh, uh, you know? And so, yeah. So I guess I want to know that, like, do you go through like physical withdrawals or deep cravings? Is it like mess with your, with uh, just the way that your body reacts to things? I mean, I, I go to this, I do the shopping for the community currently. So I walk by a lot of food that is desirable, but inaccessible during Lent. Um, and so I think there's definitely like a, especially when I see things or the other night, you know, somebody was cooking uh, and I could like smell, you know, some meat off in the distance. And it was like, <laughs> you long for it, I think, or desire it more when it's like right, right kind of in front of you. But at the same time, you know, I think I've striven hopefully to have like a certain discretion about it, you know, like, so if I was at Chipotle and, uh, was ordering, you know, we can get like beans and the, we can get certain things at Chipotle and we're not like violating the fast, but I wouldn't like complain or like if I was eating with a bunch of people like, Oh, look how I'm not eating anything that you're eating. You know, it's like, how can I just kind of seamlessly be present at this, you know, at this lunch and not make a big deal about the fact that I can't have any of this chicken that is on everybody else's burrito or whatever. And so I think there's a discretion in like trying to, obviously people know about the fast that we do, but, at the same time, like the invitation is not to draw attention to ourselves, but to try to be hidden with Christ and, uh, in God, um, as the scriptures talk about. So that's something, so I both like, uh, there is a real kind of sacrifice. And at the same time, um, there's also just trying to be humble and hidden about it. The other thing that stuck out to me is actually all three of us that are on the podcast today, were in, uh, Kenya, uh, for one of the formation experiences and we we're volunteering at a hospital and we ate with the the sisters and the priests that ran the hospital and one of the things that as we went through the month there like we ate a lot of like they farmed a lot of their own vegetables and like even the animals you know the food that we had was pretty much like grown by uh, people that worked on the hospital staff and things and so we literally ate like the same stuff we'd have like, there might be one change in the menu, you know, as part of a particular meal, but like, it was literally like, okay, this vegetable I had the day before and the day before and the day before. And there was just like a realization that like in other parts of the world, there's a much more like simplified 
diet that exists. And so I think coming back to the great fast after that experience made me realize like, I don't really need to, I need to enter into the suffering, but I don't need to be like complaining as though, you know, I'm experiencing much more suffering than anybody else in the world. Now, what about you guys? Do you crave anything during Lent? Is there anything that your body just desires more than, uh, or maybe, yeah, surprisingly desires? I just like dessert, so <laughs> I look forward to that. Yeah, I um, yeah, I think what Father Paul said is just so important um, with regards to, I mean, I've only been in the community for two and a half years, so this is my third Lent with the community. So I am by no means the veteran of Father Paul Koska. Um, but there's still, you, you, I mean, after the first great fast, I mean, it's kind of like, I, you feel like you can't have anything like when you're in the great fast. Um, and so once you get over that like first year of like, I don't know what to expect. And that's how it is with anything. Anytime that you're going to start a new penance that you've never done before. Anytime that you're going to try something new, maybe with prayer, you're going to go on a new retreat experience. Somebody is at it doing an eight day at our house that I know very well right now. And um, there was just a whole lot of unknowns walking into it. And so there's just kind of this intimidation factor of what's going to happen. Um, You don't really know what the fruit is going to be. You don't know what the physical toll is going to be. But now that we know that, I feel like almost, and maybe there's people who kind of have the same uh, penances that they do every single Lent. I feel like that's more of the temptation. Um, I don't know how often y'all come across this, but of just like when you're at a meal with somebody, you really just like want to make just like a three word comment just to express the like, ugh, like factor of it, you know? You just want to say something just to get that relief off. So I don't know what y'all, I don't know like how y'all find yourselves, like, how do you, how do you deal with that in a virtuous way? Like I have a penance that I'm doing in Lent right now, you know, but um, there's like this, I want to, I want to express my discomfort and my penance. Mm. So how do you yeah. do something like, how do you do something virtuous? Like what would the Lord do in that circumstance? What do you see Jesus doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, Jesus says um, in Matthew's gospel, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And so there's definitely a gift to be offered to God and the fact that um, the Father who sees you will reward you. And so um, when I want to complain, it's a good opportunity to say, like, Father, (laughs) I want to complain. Like, you see, this is hard for me. Um, I offer this to you. And so to let the dialogue not be between me and my friends where I want to complain or like just say something, but to really let that be an opportunity to pray and to turn again to the Lord um, because he knows it's hard <laughs> um, and he likes hearing from his kids. So, Yeah, and that's like the, the thing that we like talk about sometimes that, um, that I found myself reflecting a lot about of just like having those secrets with the Lord that other people mm. don't know, that just makes the relationship mm. so much more real of like, Father, you see the suffering, no one else does. Mm. So we're just going to keep this between me and you. And that makes it just like, that's like, like an actual friendship. That's an actual father-son so awesome. relationship. That's something real there. So I love that. So I have to ask, uh, does it get easier every Lent? I, I don't want to like assume that it uh, that it's easier or walk in the park or anything like that, but like, does your body adjust to it? You know, does your body, does like it just become more normal every year, you know? Uh, Father Paul, this is your 16th Lent or something like that. Um, so, uh, or 16th servant Lent. So, uh, yeah, does it, what's it like? Does it get more normal every year? So I think after the first year or two, there was 
a relative like normalcy to it or like it just became part of the rhythm of the year. However, I would definitely say there's still specific like times or particular days where I could kind of feel the, the sacrifice uh, more than more than normal. But at the same time, you know, there's a, um, the, I think too, you know, one of the challenges with it is like we were talking about earlier with traveling, like it's some, it's more inconvenient if you will, like both on myself, but on the people that are hosting me, you know, at times to be able to be able to follow the great fast. And so there's definitely particular days where I I feel the sacrifice of it more, you know, versus when we're at home and we're all sharing a common uh, meal together. There's not a ton of like, you just kind of eat whatever is being served. Um, and so, so I would definitely say there's particular days, but there's a certain normalcy to it for me at least. I wanted to ask you guys if it's hard to come out of the great fast during the season of Easter. You know, obviously you guys go from the season of intense fasting to the season of intense feasting. Uh, and just, you know, how does your body readjust to that does does it feel like overindulgence you know uh like how how does your body react to this kind of excessive and unusual amount of meat and sugar and dairy yeah so the kind of main transition usually happens after the easter vigil we go out as a community and usually go to a place like old chicago which has beef and alcohol and dessert all the things that we give up during during lent and there's a celebratory nature to that but at the same time like we also have to strive to be virtuous people even during the easter season and so while it's theoretically possible you know when we're in the easter octave for example to eat dessert all of the time at every single like meal that would be you know unhealthy and unreasonable and so i think for me like i've had to learn to be like more kind of moderate and virtuous even in the easter season um, because the goal isn't just to like be super penitential during lent and then to you know go over the top during easter Um, there is a celebratory aspect to it but there's still a a call to virtue is what i would say yeah absolutely um the end of the day we all want to be holy and so um how can I also feast for the love of God, right? If I fast for the love of God, how can I also feast for the love of him? And uh, in order to feast well, you have to fast well. And so to fast well, you have to feast well as well. So uh, there's a there's a joy in being able to celebrate the Lord's resurrection. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Okay, I've got to close with uh, <clears throat> asking you your most amusing great fast stories. I can't. Remember, I think this was during the Great Fast. We somebody had donated some like sardines. Yes, or something that's what like I was going to tell the same and story. Yeah, that was probably the most. And whoever, if whoever donated those or is listening, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. but sardines, like <laughs> kind of just looking at a sardine, yeah. these like miniature fish, was like frightening to me. You got to talk about Joseph. The idea of yeah. like eating, the idea of <laughs> eating these sardines was horrifying to me, and so. I think, yeah, that was just a funny experience. Like, well, I I think it's penitential, you know, to give up all these things. It was another thing to have to eat 
something like sardines. So Right, right. But the, my favorite part of that yeah. moment, though, was so one of the, the boys of family that we know in Denver, he heard that the servants of Christ Jesus were having to eat canned sardines for Lent. <laughs> so he literally, without any warning, I think his dad just texted us and was like, hey, are you all home? Can me and Joseph come over? And they came over and he showed up with this Ziploc bag of like, I don't even know, was it like $3? I don't know. It's like $7, his life $7, saving. yeah. That's what he said. And he was like, I don't want the servants to have to eat sardines anymore. So we donated to our community. And it was the sweetest thing. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, other amusing stories? Do you want me to tell mine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> so when I lived with the servants, I remember uh, one specific Lent. Father Paul was teaching uh, at Matchbuff and was also the cook. And he was in a rush when he came home and John Hegarty and I, uh, both lived in the servant's basement and, you know, we would eat meals with the servants from time to time, but we also had the distinct luxury of going to our parents when the food was not to our liking. And, uh, father Paul came home and I think he had like 20 minutes or something to get dinner ready. And, uh, and, and father James previously had made this, these like, uh, little tuna wafer kind of things, uh, with with canned tuna and like saltines and some other stuff but father paul and there was other ingredients to it but father paul all he had was was uh tuna and saltines and i think lemon juice <laughs> i remember he like took tuna crunched up sardine or uh, saltines mixed them in a bowl and then formed these like little patties these little balls <laughs> and, like put it in the oven <laughs> and then took it out of the oven i remember coming upstairs and John Hegarty and I like sat down and we like looked at the like <laughs> these like tuna ball creations and we looked at each other and we're like, I think we're going to go to uh, to our parents house for for dinner. So, yeah. Do you want to defend yourself or anything? It was indefensible. Uh, <laughs> I think somebody called it like tuna sawdust or something and very few people ate ate much of it. And and so it was not a success. Nice. All right. Uh, well, thank you to the three of you for joining me. Uh, it's been great to hear just your experiences sharing about the Great Fast. And thank you to everyone and anyone who is tuning in and listening to this. For our next episode, I've already uh, sat down and been through Father John, Father Paul, and Father James's vocation stories. So next week, I will be joined again by the great Ooh. brother Thomas and oh. brother Peter. Oh, as you guys both simultari- tag simultaneously tag-team your vocation stories. Can I tell your story and you can tell mine? Sure. Maybe. No, go. no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as always, you can learn more about the Servants of Christ Jesus and find podcast episodes as well as homilies and talks from the Servants at scjesus.org. Thank you guys for joining us. Thanks, Ed. Thanks. Thank you. Signing off. <laughs>